Jessica. Hello, hello, hello. Hey y'all, welcome to the Break Dream Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Laura. And we're here with my dear friend, Jess Pettit. Who has been way too long since I've talked to, and in order for us to arrange this, I had to start a podcast again, and she had to write a book, and but it worked out. Yay. So here we are. Y'all have tough friend requirements, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, so this is this is my history with Jess. Uh, we met over eleven years ago, which is hard to believe it's been that long, and we both started at the University of Arizona at the same time. And I got to think there's probably a lot of reasons that we wouldn't be friends. Like we come from completely different like, like backgrounds, histories and like things. But like also we both immediately bonded that we're both from Texas and live in Arizona. And she has been a great friend. And I would say uh, largely instrumental in like current views of social justice. Like she was like a, a really person. She's, she's someone who's been very instrumental in my life in that area. So here she is now. Yeah. Well, hello. That's quite the introduction. Well, not everyone gets that introduction. No, it's true. <laughs> and I will say, uh, Jessica, he has talked about you for a long time, a long time, uh, early break drink days in 2010, uh, working and knowing you and um, only good things. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you join the podcast to chat with us about what you do and a really cool book that you wrote. So, Good enough now, or as Jeff has put it, because he's not fully read it, good enough for now. Yes. <laughs> That's an option. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the, um, for the cliff notes, I guess, if I'm being super transparent, Please. is after doing diversity and social justice training for 10, 12 years, something like that, when Jeff and I worked together, they made up a job that was like social justice and leadership. And I was in a closet like 20 feet away from everybody else. And it only lasted a year. But um, after doing my own speaking and consulting work, I really got burnt out. And I was um, not excited to go to work. I did not feel like I was making an impact or a difference in anybody's life. My audience members were asking the same questions every other day. But if I'm really going to be clear is that I was not noticing a difference in my own life. I was still asking the same question. So I was still getting the same feedback from friends and um, really contemplated just kind of like quitting. And I'm not a quitter and I really love this work. So around that time, I started trying to notice, is there something that can be done radically different that could actually potentially bring more people into the conversation actually lead to change. And what I eventually noticed was that myself and others, there were patterns in our excuses at age. Um, I think everybody kind of has their areas of comfort and then there's the, Oh my gosh, what do I do? So, if, you know, my best friend had spinach in their teeth, I would have no problem saying, like, you got stuff in your teeth. But it's really the same toolkit or toolbox as, like, wow, we have really different political views. Let's talk about that. 
Um, so in noticing that, um, I discovered a pattern. I wrote a model based on that pattern. Um, I think it's also important to mention coming out of higher ed that I'm the exact opposite of a first generation college student. So everyone in my family had PhDs and I kind of grew up with the expectation that you would contribute back something. So I think that this is kind of the equivalent of my dissertation and um, I love it and hate it at the end of the process of publishing the book, but I'm really much more engaged in my work and um, I definitely see more of an immediate impact um, and interest. So it worked. Did this change your audience? Do you get to talk to? Yeah. Um, so what's interesting is that I'm pitching it kind of as a subliminal diversity training. And yeah. so um, shifting from primarily college students and college campus kind of gigs, um, I would say about 80% of the work I do now is corporate or association based. Um, same issues, same problems, same concerns. But because it's not a diversity training, I'm using air quotes, oh. but I'm still like an overweight white lesbian with weird color hair and tattoos. So there's still that like, oh, God, what's happening? But um, to be able to use the concepts of team building and leadership and why, why this, like, these efforts droves because they hate bad diversity training and right. so i'm i'm undoing the harm that i started and leading to significantly bigger conversations that really end up kind of like ruining down to individual responsibility um so i'm i'm kind of on fire i feel that most corporate diversity training is pretty bad diversity training i would agree it, as of, well that's my area just by the way yeah <laughs> so. Um, got the office like they kind of nailed it when they when they did the diversity training yeah what's really interesting is um there's a lot of horrible training um kind of on a all kinds of topics so the bar is pretty low to actually make an impact and what i'm noticing is like a venn diagram of like very good sense of humor very authentic human being fearless as far as topics goes that venn diagram leads to at least a decent 45 minute program yeah so i was really excited to hear you talk about your book get started so this book has come out in 2017 and we'll have you talk about the model but um so my area is i study how we develop learning and development in general and i chose to focus on higher ed because they could use a lot of work let's say in a talent development area and so i still work with like you associations so it's great to hear your perspective and i i think a lot of what resonated um for me from your book was the message of who we are and accepting that and understanding that and then how we treat others is just a really good common message. Um, I don't, I, I'm not even going to call it a diversity message because I think it's just a, let's call, instead of like teaching us how to code, let's teach us how to human again. And I think that's really what I got from a good, like kind of overtone of reading your book. I was kind of like, huh, this seems like uh, common sense, but some people don't have that. So we need it. Yeah. Like restoring humanity one human at a time. That's great. Um, the, the book was recently uh, reviewed by a productivity blog 
I didn't think the book had anything to do with productivity, but okay. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's like because a, you have the self guided charts and stuff, and yeah, yeah. The, you people graphics yeah. move them around them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I literally like okay, but um, the uh, compliment, and I took it as a compliment, but it's from another woman, so there has to be a little bit of a shade to it. Was Jessica's no scientist, but. but has something to say right and and i'm not a scientist and what i'm saying was, is was I'm, this a science productivity blog no not at all <laughs> it's, it's not based on research it's based on like lived experience but it's uh i pulled together like a pretty significant resource list of books that i've read desperately trying to figure out how to be a human being and so that was kind of the message. So, I mean, the do the best you can with what you got some of the time is has to be better than waiting around until you're perfect. I yeah. agree. Uh, like you're not listening. all of us. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Like, I think you did a great job for resources you tapped into that talk about it from different areas, which is kind of funny because we don't see that intersectionality of just knowledge based sharing that you just did. And you have a list of terms that seem basic for some of us in higher ed that talk this talk a lot. But um, I would say most of us don't, in general society, use the same terms or lenses or viewpoints. So you really have spelt it out for them. And uh, I think it is your graphics and maybe your amazing gas pedal image that I'm a fan of. And I've actually copied, uh, not copied, but I've drawn your your head, your heart, and the action icon, which I'm a big fan of. If you want to break that down for our listeners, that would be great to say, what are those all about? And why did you use that framework? Yeah, so first off, Lush Newton, I have to credit her for all the internal artwork because she's amazing. She's a local artist here in Eureka, California. Cool. Um, and the framework itself, I tried really hard not to use the heart uh, largely because it's my weakest area. And two, like people think it's all about emotions and it's really not. Um, so the heart variable actually is wings because it's supposed to be like bigger and a bigger picture thing. Then uh, that's the image. And then the head is kind of a brain with a lightning bolt. Or, um, and then the action is, of course, a wicked cool sneaker. Um, the, the framework basically is that everything has three variables, z-sanesies, head, heart, and action. And we, much like making judgments and assumptions, our lives have taught us how to feel safe and how to feel prepared. That doesn't mean we are safe or that we are prepared, but our lived experience has taught us this is how to be, right? So in... Figuring out how we ought to be to feel safe and prepared into two of the variables, maybe only one, probably two, more than all three at once. When we are in all three at once, I think we are unstoppable and that our work or our passion or whatever it is we're really interested in will connect with all types of people, but it also is more self-fulfilling. But the vast majority of our life one of the variables dangles like a third rail, and I call it that because of the subway system in New York. It's the, the third rail is the thing you can't touch because it'll electrocute you, while it is also the thing that powers the entire system. And most like self-helpy reflection books, I, I don't think spend enough time on the third rail concept. So like when I read difficult, fierce, crucial, and courageous conversations, 
they don't focus on why it is we suck at stuff or why it is we avoid things or why it is we assume like what it's a something my therapist told me once is that you can't be mad at people for acting exactly the way you expect them to. And we're mad at people all the time. Like let's, let's take president Trump. People have lit their hair. That's on what I was just thinking about. Yeah. I don't they say his name. name. I go for column 45. So, yeah. So what's interesting is that I did not call him president Trump until nine 11 watching the memorial 9-11 is very important to me and watching the memorial i literally was like what is he doing there and why is he talking through the moment of silence but that is when it became clear to me that he actually was president and i think it's important to name that he is president like collectively we have done this whether you voted or not and whoever you voted for we've done this we're responsible for this and this is the imprint we're making in the world right but if we take trump what is important to know is in my model, he is also Bernie Sanders, who also had really giant ideas with no idea how to implement them that also motivated millions of people who've never given a bleepity bleep about politics before. Mm-hmm. So when you start thinking about how people show up, the space or grace to give somebody, which, by the way, grace, by the way, I think is probably probably the biggest thing I've learned from dear Jeff Jackson right there. But being able to extend grace to other human beings is something happened in their life that told them this is how you show up. This is how you can be the most safe and prepared. So even if that only lasts 30 seconds, like what could possibly have happened in someone's life that this is how you're supposed to show up? So if we can do that to other people, sometimes that's easier to restore humanity to them than it is to actually make the habit of doing it to ourselves. So showing up in the two variables and our kind of habitual response patterns, that's our coping mechanisms, that's our defensive mechanisms, but it's also like where we think we can only be this way. And that's, that's not the case. I'm glad you explained the heart because I think I had the, the struggle with that one the most as well until I read about it being open or being a translator or being, you know, receptive to things. I was like, oh, I kind of get that. That image didn't whatever resonate with me until you said that. And you're like, it's not just your feelings. It's bigger than that. Yeah. So I think that's, yeah. It's been actually a heady response because yeah. you have emotionally appropriate responses. Um, I, a recent participant really helped me out with this, but a, uh, I have been saying that a head is like a downward facing lamp. So it's like very small illuminated area of detail. A heart is like an upward facing lamp, right? So it illuminates the whole space and action is like a strobe light. Mm-hmm. But we uh, all, we yeah. all people who that's exactly how they show up in meetings. Jeff, you're clearly the strobe light of your meetings. I can tell. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I try to stay on task. I, I try oh, no. to get the meeting. You're the head. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, well, except for when I go to admissions committee decisions, um, <laughs> because I try to get that thing to move in this. I, I try to, to, I try to strobe light through that as much as possible. We have a lot of people to read. That's where you carry your big, like, uh, old, you know, cassette player over your shoulder and you run in there like, let's go team. It's action yeah. time. Because, <clears throat> because, so so Jeff, in your the video you have on on I guess your website, I saw a, a while you talked about um, the story and how we judge people. 
Um, so it's really interesting because today I spent two and a half hours in a missions committee judging people. I did like, a quick full-time job right there. Okay. Yeah. Like, like that became, uh, like that became part of my, that's like part of my job is to like judge people. Now I have like lots of data to judge them on. Like I have like test scores and everything I've done and personal statements and letters of recommendation. Like, so like I, I, I look at everything and I'm not the, also like, I'm not the only decision. It's a, it's a committee full of people, but I present like four or five people. So yeah, so it was interesting how um, um, I, I like what you said about it, but like I just had that in my job today for two hours is to pass judgment on people and their ability, you know, whether they should get medical school or not. Yeah, the, the concept of leave room for edit is critical in that, so step one is to realize being told you should never make a judgment and assumption, one, is impossible, and two, very bad advice. We make judgments and assumptions to feel <coughs> so it's not about making them. It's about what we do with them when we make them. So in order to analyze what is it that we do with them when we make them, we have to first start with like, oh, I make them. Step one. Great. Which ones do you make? Why do you make them? What what fuels them? What informs them? What has become a habit? Um, what do you make without even paying attention that you're not even conscious of? What, what judgments and assumptions do you make fully conscious because this is what you need to do? Great. Make away. Then print them out triple space with extra wide margins and generously, curiously seek edits from someone so that you can actually take in their truth. And then your story can just reflect their truth without being defensive. So I always use the example when I wrote my book, the first draft I mailed out to like 12 friends and I was hoping they would shred it to death so why can't I do that when I meet a stranger in a parking lot like here's a story I have hmm, let's see how wrong it is like why why do I have to get so defensive or squeeze someone's reality into my rough draft I like how you also talked about, like you said, edits, but also holding space for that a concept is making space for what you don't think to be true. Or the, th the three streams you talked about was really helpful to say, just because you have this perspective and lens. And, and I think I can think about times I've come to like live in a different part of the world. And my interpretation of what you've said looks, sounds very different from where I'm from to where we are now. And so like, I think of the term accessibility services is what we had in Canada. And we say that all the time. So when I came to the US and I was at a couple different American institutions, not just in Texas, they said disability accommodations. I said, aren't we thinking about access and like just how we frame things is different. And I said, it's funny yeah. that you call it this way, but why do you, and why haven't we changed the term handicapped to mean something else in different regions or parts of the country than we have. And I, and I think it, it does thinking about where people are coming from and having space to understand that I thought was really, was really resonated with me when I read part of that um, chapter. And I really, I really appreciate what you had to say on the three streams. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that or. Well, it's also a great reason to get to reference Ghostbusters. That's true. That's also true. Yeah. I mean, let's really focus. <laughs> so the, the concept okay. of Ghostbusters, and, and I actually remember when I saw Ghostbusters for the first, the first version, not the second version, although the second version is, is much funnier. If you've seen the first version and the cameos in it, 
that I don't think people are noticing because they haven't seen the original. Anyway, okay. I saw the original. There's my public service announcement right there. <laughs> so I saw the original in the theater, and I remember <laughs> this is like this, this is such a head action response, right? But I remember leaving the theater and asking my father the entire movie. They have the ability to get the bad guy, but they say, do not cross the streams because they had no idea what would happen. And then at the end, surprise, when you cross the streams, then it works and the bad guy goes away. Like, and I remember leaving the theater and just saying how many things in the world, this is who I was as a kid, a little window in Texas, how many things in the world are going on that we have the answer, but because we don't know that it's the answer, we're not utilizing it. Mm. Right. In philosophical conversation with my father, with a daddy's girl. But the same thing goes here is that people want to know. So I was having a conversation day before yesterday with, what I would like to call a well-intentioned white woman. There are so many of us. Some I'm sure. So she was telling me, that she's not racist, but she doesn't understand why not white people can't just teach her everything she needs to know. Mm. So I said, okay, well, imagine your entire life being responsible for teaching people through their ignorance. Like you have, you have Google, right? Like go watch a movie, go read a book, do your own homework. And what she said was, well, I just, you know, I can do that, but how am I supposed to know what questions I'm supposed to be answering? And I said, is it possible that you could just believe people? Like, is she, taking like a, is she preparing for like a racist quiz that she has no. to pass? Like, is there like a racist standardized exam that I'm not familiar with? I'm not familiar with either, so I'd like to be aware as, as well. Yeah, I, I think that that's actually code for like every standard nice test actually but, sure, sure, sure. Uh, no she's, she's a grandmother raise good grandkids that don't have anyone so i think if i had had this is such a great example but if i continued down the line white woman to white woman about what she was talking about and how crazy pants it was then i would never get anywhere right because she was completely convinced that she needs them i'm using air quotes to tell her the questions and the answers so she can know everything because they also know everything and represent everyone. <laughs> so I switched gears and I said, like, are you a woman of faith? And she was like, oh, I am actually. So I was like, great. Tell me about your religion. So she and started. To... No, no, no. This was in, where was I? Sacramento. No, a couple days ago. Uh, um, so she said uh, she identified as a Christian and she was telling me all about her faith and everything like that. And I was like, great. Great. And I said, what questions do you think I need answered? And can you give me the answers if I don't identify as a Christian? And she was like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's too many questions and there's too many answers. I mean, this is just how I do this. And I was like, exactly. So like crossing the streams, the idea of crossing the streams is like multiple perspectives that are reality at the same time that are far more powerful together. So then I go back to the original conversation and I said, part of I believe you is that you validate somebody's existence and their story, whether you perceive it or have experienced it or not. That is the part of belief and part of belief 
belief is faith, and part of faith is having respect for the other person to maybe know themselves better than you might know them. Hey, Jess, have you ever read Anne Lamont? I don't know. She's she's from the California area. She's actually uh, started as a fiction writer, but has come to faith late in life, but, you know, has spelled addictions. But she's, she's lives in Marin County and is, like, a soap and tries to figure out, like, how to live a better life and how to, like, understand mercy. Um, and, like, mercy is, like, a big theme of hers and, um, or grace is a big theme of hers. Her writings are, and, like, from, a, from a, like, a faith theological perspective, like, I don't know if she's right, like, but I'm tired of figuring out who's right and who's wrong. Like, I don't know if she's right. But she's comforting, like the way, like the way she views things, and her, like just trying to be better and love people and be present with people. Like it's, um, it was, it was great to, to read her or so, to listen to her. An example of a book that Jeff's listened to, experienced, yes, he's experienced, has been Bird by Bird. We've talked about it in the pod before. So some instructions yeah. on writing in life is one of the books that I've considered actually picking up and adding to my library queue, Jeff, because of you, because I was kind of looking through a catalog, but um, that might be one to... I like how you said that, though, um, Jess. I like that you said, like, let's reflect on something you already know and to shift your own paradigm of thinking. Let's put you in your own space. You're comfortable. And then now, what if it was inserted with X topic or X theme? I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really, yeah. that's a really good example of the streams and ghost busting. Yeah. I mean, that I doing. think it's like, not to throw my partner under the bus or anything, but um, I married. I am from Texas, and I one of the many reasons I married my husband is that he makes the best vegetarian chili I've ever had in my entire life. And I grew up where chili is a meat product; it does not have vegetables in it. So <laughs> yes, a vegetarian I'm aware chili now. that my hair back is like, what is happening? <laughs> so when Lauren makes chili, he like uses all fresh ingredients. He cuts them all up in teeny tiny pieces and he cooks them all first and then he puts them in the pot. Like it is like a thing, right? But he doesn't think he can cook. So like when I taught him how to boil water to make like reheat and boil raviolis, this was like magic skills to him. But I had to explain to him like you actually have more advanced cooking knowledge because you make the chili that you make the way you make your chili. Those things are transferable to other recipes. And he's like, nope, not doing it. Can't. Mm -mm. I don't know. How to do it. Right? it was really funny that it's funny the way that you said it back to me. But like, that's what I hear is someone who, yeah. who like Julie lends vegetables, but doesn't think they can cook. That's funny. Uh, and I, so my partner like loves to cook and he's like, it's cause it's like a science. I follow this recipe. I follow this thing that I do the method and it relax. It's methodical. And I was like, Oh, it's exhausting. You can cook. I'll clean. It's fine. No, I think, I think it's really fun. It's really fun to hear the stories in your book. You have a lot of little vignettes and it's funny if I didn't live in Texas, although we have them in Canada, I was like these tater top stop. I was like, what's a tater tot? Cause like we had some, but it's only grown since we've globalized our food economy, but tater tots were like, I know, I know. Don't worry. I I've learned about it now. So I'm learning. I learned, we learn our ways now. So, okay. yeah. Okay, good. Cause tater tots are pretty much. <laughs> No, that's great. Um, okay. Hit me. Okay. First, first 
first, and this first question is only for people who know you, like they'll get this. Um, current hair color. Uh, today is kind of an icebergy blue with a black layer on top and the sides. Okay. Um, uh, airline status. Uh, Beyonce Diamond Encrusted United 1K Platinum. Sorry, Miss Pettit, the arrived early. Would you like a seat? Can I get you a beverage? <laughs> That's the best status ever. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm like I'm less than a hundred thousand away from a million miles on United. Nice. Wow, you actually did to that. Okay. Okay. Um, do you miss working on campus? Ooh, um, mostly no. Um, the the pieces that bubble up. Um, and that's a really smart question to ask. So the first one is regular paycheck. Like yeah. just the like, um, I think that because I switch jobs so much, which is like code for getting fired so often, um, I really, I never saw a freshman graduate. Huh. And I still think that that would be, that's like such a blessing, I think, to be a part of someone's life. But I have learned that I am still part of people's lives. But I, um, that's always kind of something I never got to do. I have actually applied for a couple of jobs on campuses, um, but much like higher up kind of dean level type jobs that appear to actually be about actually wanting to make change and then mm. not. Um, but pretty much I, I think now that I'm self-employed, like I think the security a school has or consultant work comes with a departing flight it's easier to stare in the sun of the truth when they know I'm leaving. And I think every day at an every weekly staff meeting does not go over well. Can I get some um, advice we- for young professionals that um, are coming to the field quite green and wanting to do what you do? What would you tell them? Say, I really want to speak on or talk on or deliver training on X, but I'm like one to two years out of my grad program. What advice do you give? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what I did is just listen to people. So um, the third time I got fired, Facebook was new. You had to have an EDU address in order to use Facebook. And so I put something out and said, like, hey, I'm available to do something if you want me to do something. And then I just paid attention to the people who hired me to do stuff. But, I mean, back in the day when Jeff and I worked together, like, that was year two and like fall semester was not very happening. And by spring semester, like I was barely at work. Um, not that anyone noticed because my office was down the hallway in a closet. But um, uh, listen to the people and um, understand the capitalistic difference between what you want to do and what you think your customer needs versus what you need to do in order to supply what your customer base actually wants. Um, like Snooky beat me out of a keynote 10 years ago, still burns. She has $20,000 to talk about who knows what. And this past March, I beat out Ashley Judd. So like, what? Like, okay. <laughs> Just... Listen, and um, the last piece of it, the, the last piece of advice I almost always give anybody who's trying to start their own business 
or new in a profession is that you are in charge of your own sense of urgency. So yeah. that will never go away. So just deal with it. So everyone listening, uh, Jess's book is good enough now. Her website is goodenoughnow.com. Is that correct? Truth. Because nobody can spell my last name. <laughs> um, um, four, four T's, but not in a row. Um, but, uh, but Jessica, Jessica, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. And thank you, you so much. We need to have you back sometime soon. I would love to be on a regular. That would be fantastic. Hey, we welcome regular joiners, and they, they do show up. So you can threaten us all you want, you know. Um, we will have a challenge for a listener because we're going to put the, the link to the book where you can buy it. And we can link to your website if you want to hear more of what the fabulous things that Jessica is doing. Um, but we have a head, a heart, and a action challenge for you. So um, what do you think we should give them, Jess, as a challenge? So they can win, win a copy of your book. Do you have a good challenge? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a good challenge that you like to give your audience that they can respond to? Maybe uh, take a photo, uh, tweet at us, do something. Graffiti uh, your name. Graffiti your name. Graffiti uh, your name on a, like a bridge or railroad. Yeah. Yeah. I do tell a, fun, I tell a fun story about graffiti, uh, graffiti in general as I introduce the concept. So graffiti <laughs> would be welcome. Um, funny pictures are always welcome. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I really love examples where, uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump have actually said similar things, because uh, there are a ton of there, them. There a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, but our brains are like, what, what? Um, but it's true. Um, so yeah, I'll do that. Um, also I'm happy to give the listeners, I give out a texting number. Um, so if people have thoughts or comments or questions or anything I can ever help with, I'm available. So the number is 202-670-4262. 202-670-4262. Sweet. You got your own advice line with Jessica Pettit. For good yeah. And, and tweet something with the good enough now hashtag. Let's, let's do that. Yeah. we're gonna, yeah. So I want people to think about if they lead with their head, their heart, or their feet, the action, and give us an example of how you are uh, in in that zone. Primarily, it doesn't mean you don't use all three because we think you do. Uh, but what what do you do? Head strong, heart open strong, um, or action strong in your life with good enough now. Hashtag good enough now, and uh, we'll pick uh, Jeff and I will pick at random a winner for said things, the most creative, uh, and we'll put this out in the next weeks to come. Great, yeah. Just let me know and. I will mail the happy winner a free autographed book along with some weird prize. Maybe my husband's chili recipe. Oh my gosh, that sounds great. Now I want to do this. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much, Jessica. We hope you do come okay. back. And you can talk about anything you want. And you can bring the topic with you. Yeah, sounds great. I, I really would love to do it. It would be wonderful. There's like, I need to process things. So Yeah, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.